This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. For decades, natural hair discrimination has been recognized by many as racism by another name. Purpose to preserve white spaces and rooted in systemic racism. Policies that prohibit natural hairstyles like afros, braids, bantu knots, and locks have been used to justify the removal of black children from classrooms and black adults from their employment. Without nationwide legal protections against hair discrimination, black people, and most especially black women, are often left with the no-win dilemma to either risk facing consequences at school or work for their natural hair, or invest time and money to conform to Eurocentric professionalism and beauty standards. Distinguishing the comprehensive fullness and exclusive challenge that black women face in determining just how they will show up in the world when it comes to their hair. Providing her readers with testimony, information, and encouragement. Today's guest is giving black women some thoughtful questions and perspective to consider as they are exploring and making their personal decisions about transitioning back to natural. Documenting her own personal journey while also embracing the transformation as a new mom. In her book, Embracing My Natural Hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural, author, journalist, and media personality, Esther Dillard, is providing guidance for those making their own transition, as well as sharing her unique insight into the historical, emotional, medical, and political issues that influence her decision-making on this topic. Here with us to discuss her book, Embracing My Black Natural Hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural. Here to share more about her transition back to natural and to talk more about the past and the present of the divine phenomenon that is black hair. We have author, journalist, and media personality, Ms. Esther Dillard. I am Maggie B. Nowen, and this is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast with your host, Ramses Ja. Esther, welcome to the show. It's just you and me today, huh? I know. This is kind of weird. I'm yeah. used to doing all the questions and asking questions. So Yeah, normally when we talk, we have uh, it's it's you and and we have another reporter on and yeah. we're talking about recapping the news, but now it's you in the news. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It is kind of a, a a different experience. Sure, sure. Well, uh well deserved and I know I'm excited to dig a little deeper. I'm sure our listeners are as well. So Let's let's give you the royal treatment uh, around here. We always start at the beginning. So share a bit about yourself, 
um, your upbringing and what led you to the career path that you're on? Well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. and uh, my dad worked for the New York State Health Department as an administrator. He was also a minister uh, part-time. My mom, I believe she probably would have been a really great elementary school teacher, but she had a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in and out of the hospital um, with kidney uh issues. And then eventually she had kidney failure. Um, She was a pretty much a stay-at-home mom and a licensed foster parent. And my mom and dad took in around 35 foster children over the course of 10 years. Mm. Um, I was always interested in writing, um, but I didn't get the TV bug until I saw a young black girl that was featured on PBS. And the girl had this show, which had her exploring all these areas all over the United States and the world. And they talked about history and science and books. And she was interviewing people. And I saw her like, man, I want to do that. Whatever that was, you know, I was a kid and I didn't know exactly what that was, but eventually I figured that out. And then in high school, I wrote for the yearbook. And then I finally went to college and I joined something called the Spectrum newspaper at SUNY Buffalo and eventually became a managing editor. I tabled in public radio and then college. I did some reporting as a student. And then I finally got a paid internship um, at the Buffalo News. And I decided I wanted to go to grad school, went to Syracuse University for their communications program, um, finished that program. And then finally, um, I got a job working kind of behind the scenes um, in public television, working camera operation and uh, stations in my hometown at commercial stations. But I really wasn't satisfied because that wasn't really what I wanted to do as far as a tech, you know, person. Mm-hmm. But I learned like a lot of things about tech. And then um, I eventually started calling around, got an on-air minority internship program. I found this um, through Syracuse University's career program. They um, that one of the career people they got tired of me calling back saying, "Is there anything, anything open?" And she's like, <laughs> "There's this internship opportunity, and they have on-air." I was like, "On-air? Are you kidding me?" Um, this was in um, ABC, the ABC affiliate in Rochester, New York. Okay. So I worked there for uh, several months um, and applied to stations all over the U.S. And eventually my hometown station, uh, NBC uh, in Buffalo, WGRZ, uh, picked up my resume and my tape and um, called me in for an interview. I didn't think I was going to get it and got it. And I stayed there for probably about five years. Um, during that time, um, I met my husband, we got married, um, and I got an agent, and um, I was hired in Philadelphia uh, at what is now called CBS3. It was KYW. And um, uh, my husband, he works in radio as an executive and as a program director, and he got a lot of jobs, and we followed each other all over the country. <laughs> Okay. So he got a job in San Francisco. So I followed and I went to KTU, KTVU in San Francisco. And then when his station was flipped, it was sold to another company. We went to Detroit, Michigan. I worked in um, at Flint, Michigan as an anchor and reporter at WEYI. And then he got a job in Washington, D.C. I followed him there and for about six months. And then I got pregnant. And then he went to WBLS in New York. And that's how I ended up in uh, New York's. Uh, we actually moved to New Jersey because it was more less expensive to work. In, I mean, less expensive to live in New Jersey, New Jersey yeah. and, and him work in New York. So that's what I did. And, um, and uh, I worked there uh, for quite some time. I, I stayed in at home, actually working from home. 
and uh, uh, finally got a job uh, at Bloomfield College teaching classes um, on news writing and broadcast journalism and public speaking. Um, so about after seven years there, um, uh, I got a call from Tanita Myers, um, and uh, she was our what was the BIN's um, news director um, mm-hmm. before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And she asked if I'd be open to working there uh, at the BIN. And that is how I landed here. So it's a long story, but I got there. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a magnificent story and an inspiring story. There's not a lot of people who can tell stories like that. Um, and obviously for someone who's uh, so um, well qualified, someone who is so such a good spirit. And of course, someone who is black, authentically, naturally black to be able to have such a profound story, I think is, is magnificent and, and inspirational beyond measure. So good for you. And it is an honor to work with someone who is um, so experienced in such a competitive field. Um, so that brings us to why we're talking today. Um, that authentically black uh, part of this is something that we're kind of leaning into these days, it looks like. So let's talk about your book, yeah. Embracing My Black Natural Hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural. So let's talk about um, why you wrote the book and who it's for and what you hope the readers would take away. Well, I have originally signed up for a course on publishing. Um, and one of the challenges was writing a book in seven days on any subject that you're passionate about. And I knew hair had been something I had talked to girlfriends about and my stylist and other people. And, um, but you know, I hadn't really written about it except for on a few Facebook posts. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started writing it as a simple guide to black women who wanted to change their from permed hair to a natural hair. Mm -hmm. However, when I started writing it and doing research, I found that there were so many historical, medical issues, political issues, emotional issues connected to this. I was like, this is like really growing. Um, And I think that it's more than just a guide. It really is about my hair journey in addition to that and what women might, women and men who may want to, you know, go natural, um, what it, they're going to have to probably deal with uh, or examine with their own thoughts, their own beliefs when it comes to their own black hair. Okay, so um, talk to us about this is something that I uh, can appreciate, you know, for those of us who can't see me, um, I have a a full head of hair myself and have had this hair since uh, I started growing my hair when I turned 20. That was the special age for me that I became a man um, in in my own mind. So. Obviously, you you get into this. Talk to our listeners a bit about the significance of black hair and why things like, let's say, the Crown Act are important um, in in protecting our cultural identity. Well, I'm going to go back and talk to you a little bit about the fact that what I learned when I did some of the research on this issue is that when it comes to black women who have natural hair like mine, um, which is described as like 4B, 4C hair. It's mm-hmm. very tightly coiled. Um, and in the hair community before the natural hair movement came along, mm-hmm. this was not like the hair texture that was considered desirable. Anybody with my type of hair 
was encouraged to straighten it when I was in the woodworking in a professional field. Okay. Um, Afrocentric hairstyles were embraced in the black community as something that you wore among your family members, around your friends. Um, but when you work in a professional setting among white folks, it was often considered to straighten hair like mine or cover it with a wig or with a weave. And this is practice that stems back to enslavement. Um, and I found that although braids, cornrows, locks, other Afrocentric styles were used in Africa as a way of connecting tribes, mm-hmm. um, they, at, when they were forced to come to the U.S. through the slave trade, they were often told to cover their hair um, in the fields with cloths. Or if they worked in the master's homes, they were supposed to, uh, they wore wigs or to cover their hair up, basically. Um, hair that is not straight um, to those who were enslavers essentially made them feel uncomfortable. It was different. It didn't blow in the wind. It was puffy. It stood up in the air. And that's the good stuff. Strange to them. <laughs> it was strange to them. Well, it was yeah, strange yeah, to white people. I'm folks. being funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. And straightening or relaxing those natural curls made them, made the, those who were hired or had the economic purse strings in this country, made them feel relaxed. Yeah. I, I think really. Black comedian Paul Moody really pretty much summed it up when he said, if your hair is relaxed, white people are relaxed. If your hair is nappy, white people aren't happy. And they're not. <laughs> so, you know, and I've likely heard, I, and you've probably, like, you talked about the, the Crown Act, which stands mm-hmm. for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Right. This is a law that prohibits racial discrimination based on natural hair textures, protective styles, um, it's been adopted in about 18 states now, but it's not on a national level, level le- national level. Yeah. So, and people have to understand that, you know, black hair is a multi-million dollar industry. Really, it is. Yeah. You, you, our hair is, 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 is money. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of hair shows. There's many designers, um, stylists. Uh, many of these hair shows are in Detroit, Michigan, LA. Black folks like to express themselves with their hair. And many people have done it, men and women, in different ways. And black folks are not a monolith. And no, not and our hair is not a monolith. There are different hair textures. And from what I've read from stylists and what I've, the research I've done, um, most people have on top of their head more than one curl pattern or different textures in their head. Oh, yeah. And it's likely because of all the mixing that had happened back um, for black folks during the slave trade, as well as the raping of black women by white masters. And so um, this changing of your hair or straightening of your hair was a way for many black stylists in the early days, like Anne Malone and Madam C.J. Walker it was a way in which to make it so that you could get employed mm-hmm. because black women struggled um, a lot of times to get employed in white society unless they had, and they had to show up that way in order to just get a paycheck. So like, you know, many of our black listeners know though, when you were pressing your hair or straightening your hair with that standard pressing comb um, in that, that used to be used or now they do, um, what is it? Uh, they have a flat ironing. Um, many black women know that, you know, when you get hit with moisture or rain, your hair reverts back to its curliness and back to its, yeah. its awesomeness on top of your head. So a lot of times, you know, your, your job is not only just doing your job, but you have to 
be on guard to make sure that your hair, when it gets that moisture, hits it and it changes and it starts to not be as straight as those who make that are more comfortable with it. Um, it's that added layer of pressure, mm-hmm. uh, added layer of stress that you have on top of your head. And um, the Crown Act was is really for to help those who are want to show up authentically like themselves to be able to do that without that added layer of stress and be able to just do their jobs and be themselves. And that's, I think that, that that's an important, I think, um, law that will be hopefully adopted um, across the country as a federal law. But right now it's only in certain States. You know, there's something about um, black hair that, I think is is symbolic, at least in my story. So one one of the things that contributed to me um, growing my hair out is when I was in college, um, I went to school for business and it was one of the um, more elite business schools in the country. And um, when I was there, there weren't many people who looked like me. And in many of my classes, I was the only person who looked like me. And I realized that a lot of the people lacked perspective. And I was often the sole representative of an entire race of people um, mm-hmm. in those classroom settings, right? And these were the minds that were going to shape the country, are now currently shaping the country, right? And many of these folks don't have black friends. They don't, you know, that's just not, and not because they're bad people, but just they just is not in their social circle. And for many of them, the closest that they would get to a brilliant black mind, at least at that point in their life, was me. Not to say that I'm a brilliant black mind, but I kind of am. Um, to be in company, in their company. You know, it's it's weird to talk about yourself, but I, I, I'm i not a stupid person and I'm, nor am I uninformed. So um, I recognize early on that representation mattered. And for me, um, you know, sometimes people were curious, sometimes people were open-minded, but sometimes people weren't. They did not yet know how to be that. And I knew that when I was, I, I kind of had my career path lined up for me, that I didn't need to play that same game that everyone else did. I right. knew that when I left this campus, I'd be taking my people with me into those meetings and this was radio uh, you know because that's what i had lined up for me after college um that there were going to be people making decisions about how my culture was uh packaged and diffused throughout the city that did not look like me and i had to bring the strength of my ancestors into these meetings right and at 20 years old i decided you know what how can i bring as much of that with me into these rooms i'm going to let my hair do what it does right and so I recognize the symbolic value in my story of hair, right? But the fact is, is that many men um, will only be able to relate by proximity to what it means to be a black woman um, and what doors black women can and cannot walk through depending on what type of hairstyles they wear. Today's uh, show, as you know, was um contributed heavily to by our producer 
uh, Maggie be knowing. And I know that Maggie is, you're on the call with us. You wanted to, um, ask uh, a couple questions. So why don't you jump in right here? Because I want to make sure that this conversation does center black women. Um, because no matter how, what my experience is, I know that the black woman's experience is going to be even more profound. Thank you. Yes. And no, such an important topic. And there's just so many layers to, to the hair, um, as part of our lifestyle, really. Um, why did you, you know, decide to transition? What were the internal and external factors? And, you know, the socio-emotional piece of it is, is I feel like such a huge piece, especially for black women, um, you know, and just not only how are we going to wear our hair every day, but then to decide to change it, you know, after you've, you've worn it, like if you have waist long braids and then you decide to take your hair out, like, you know, what do you do? So how did you make your decision? Well, what started it was that I was, I uh, had just had my son. Um, and that was amazingly almost 15 years ago. He is now 14. <laughs> so when he was a toddler, um, cause I wasn't working, uh, we were living off of one salary. Um, you know, he's making a good sal, pretty decent salary, but you know, me asking every time to go get my hair done, I just felt kind of strange about that because as a person who's usually, um, I was used to doing my own thing. I had, I was a professional woman. I don't like asking, can I have some money to go get my hair done? That really, really bothered me. So um, I would try and take care of it myself as a, you know, doing, having a perm. Um, but as you, those of you who have 4C, 4BC hair, you know, um, with tightly coiled hair, if you don't get your hair permed every four to six weeks, your hair starts to weaken at the place where it's growth and the new, and the new growth and the uh, permed hair, and it begins to break off. And so after a period of time of, you know, sometimes going to the salon or trying to do it myself, it pretty much started to break off mm. in spaces. And at one point, it kind of looked like a chia pet. And I just cried in the mirror. I was just so sad. And I decided I just I just started cutting it off. And I had a little afro. And um, I just decided to just kind of keep it that way for a while. And I did my own little tiny braids or whatever. And I kept it under a cap. Um, but I think all the time that I was trying to decide whether I was going to change it or not, um, my concern was, am I going to be able to be employed anymore? You know, because uh, when I worked in the television spaces, you pretty much were told you, not told, but kind of encouraged, you know, to have this look. And you had to have a look, which usually was a straight haired look um, that or a bob uh, or wear a weave or something that kind of reflected what other white journalists look like on camera and, or other black journalists look on camera, but they all had that straight look. And so I decided that, you know, I was really just tired of it. Um, and I said, well, maybe if because I have a new child, this is my chance to change myself completely. I'll change, go outside the box of what my box was as a television reporter and decided that maybe I'll go into teaching because I had a master's and I could use that master's as a way of um, teaching classes in writing journalism and that all the things that I learned um, in the real world of television, I would transfer it to the classroom. 
and I got a um a job working in that regard, and that's how I was able to to kind of kind of move that transition, and that's how that's what basically was the the start of that transition for me. Wow. So if you hadn't have gotten moved into a different direction with your job, you wouldn't have felt comfortable then actually changing your hair then really at the time. Is that? Probably not. I, I don't think, you know, when, those of us who work in television, you know, as a TV news reporter, uh, I've, it, I found in conversations, many felt pressured, especially if you came through in the 80s, 90s, where you were trying to get in the door. I started in the 90s, pretty much. Um, you did not push against what the news director wanted. And, you know, it's funny. I try to figure out why many black journalists, television journalists really didn't push back on this and tried wearing their national natural hair on television. And um, most just conform to using relaxers or flat ironing it or like, or wearing it straight like other white journalists. And a professor who worked with me at Bloomfield College, who is now retired, her name is Dr. Jean Nutter, mentioned to me by the name, uh, a person by the name of, um, Melville Tolliver. She was a black journalist. And it was back in 1971. She was um, working for WABC in New York and was asked to cover the wedding of Richard Nixon's daughter. She refused to wear a wig or scarf to cover up her afro. Um, and this made at management really at the station upset. They took her off the air. Um, in a Newsday article that I found, um, Melville Tol Tolliver pretty much said that the station manager, let me find this. It says, oh, here. Station manager says, when I saw her on the news last night, it scared the hell out of me. I wanted to jump and hide behind my couch. Um, quote, I don't like your hair. You no longer look feminine. Hmm. And she said, I explained to him that he had been seeing what he had been seeing was not my natural hair. And he kept saying, no, that's not your real hair. And I said, yes, this is how my hair really looks. And he said, you're going to have to change it back. I went home and cried. So they canceled her studio appearances, her appearance on the local morning show, AM New York. They edited her out of all of the film. And eventually her story leaked to the New York Post. Um, and she pretty much still refused to change it. So they just she just kind of, I guess, rode the wave until she left WABC and was eventually hired by WNBC. Um, in my research, I found that some Black women were inspired by her pushing back against the establishment. Um, but in my opinion, it also was a flashpoint for other Black women who wanted to work in television news, that if you crossed that line, you were going to be seen as a troublemaker and that you wouldn't work in television long. And only up until recently, many cities, um, you know, women, black women working in uh, television news have started to wear their hair in natural styles. And it's simply because many local markets, if you look um, outside of large black cities, they may have one or two black journalists on the air. And that's because they hire only so many that they put on the air uh, because their population is perhaps only, you know, 10%, 15%, maybe 30%. So they only hire that many. They only feel like they are obligated based on their population or the people that watch their station to hire that many folks. So you always feel like when you're a new person 
walking into that space and you don't have but maybe one other colleague that's African-American like yourself, you really can't make a lot of waves because you will be replaced. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot B-I-N. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. We are here today with author, journalist, and media personality, Ms. Esther Dillard, discussing her new book, Embracing My Black Natural Hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural, learning more about her transition back to natural, and discussing the past and the present of the divine phenomenon that is black hair. You know, there's something about this that uh, is is very well. First off, is this? I'm 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 guessing this is why you wrote this book, embracing my black natural hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural, was to empower black women who were uh, encountering situations and scenarios like this. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought that that it was important for them because within the book, I kind of. I pose questions to them, you know, that I asked myself, you know, whether or not, why, why was it that I didn't want to do it? 
before? What was the reason? And I had to kind of go back and figure out that the reason why it hadn't was because of the pressure pretty much to keep your job. And in order to keep your job, you had to kind of have this look. And I know that visuals are important in television. It is. You know, they want pe- pretty people. <laughs> they pick pretty people. They mm-hmm. pick people that are e- easy to easy on the eyes for for um for on camera. Mm-hmm. But um you can be pretty and and you can be beautiful and you can be black and you can have authentic hair and still all do all that at the same time. And I think that that's what's happening with a lot of black journalists that are in this space now. Uh-huh. They're they're wearing it. And uh-huh. it's wonderful to see. I saw a guy with dreads on CNN once and he was a reporter. I can't remember his name right now. It escapes me. But I was like, awesome. Are you kidding me? You know, it was just nice to see. Um, and it's nice to see other black women wearing two strand twists or um, different braids. They're actually wearing, you know, box braids. I'm like, oh, my God, this woman is on an anchor desk with box braids. Mm. Mama, it's awesome. Um, so it's just it's it's a nice thing to see. Mm-hmm. I wish, honestly, I felt like I could have done that. Mm-hmm. But at in that space that I was at. It was not, not something that was embraced. There's, um, there's something that I found in, in my story, uh, interesting. Um, there are these, um, companies, these enterprises that, uh, want to be seen as being inclusive and diverse. Um, and in some instances, they, you know, dig in with both feet into black culture. You know, I'm, I've come from a hip hop broadcasting background, right? Uh, to an outsider looking in, it looks like a black enterprise, but it very much is a, a white enterprise, right? Um, that is peddling black culture. But, you know, I spent, I think it was maybe six years at uh, Channel 3 in, in my city doing uh, TV. Um, and when I first uh, was interviewing with everyone there to ba- about, you know, appearing on television as Ramses Ja, the radio personality, as the DJ, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, originally they wanted me to show up and be like a caricature of myself, right? Um, they needed to kind of play up the we got a black guy angle because that's what ellen had done and ellen at the time had just gotten twitch rest in peace um on her show so they were trying to kind of follow that trend um so the show that i was on it came on sort of like right after the news went off um but uh it was still kind of associated with that type of programming um and I let them know that that was not going to fly because that's just not who I am. You know, I'm not going to, you know, do the, 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 you know, the shuck and jive and a little dance and be extra cool. And they, they, I remember they, the, one of the producers says, you know, we, we kind of want, you know, a person that's going to be talking jive. And I was like, whoa, is this the sixties? You know, I had, you know, this is what they wanted. That's what they wanted. Right. And, um, you weren't black enough. Well, they they <laughs> expected me to be 
uh, hip hop idea of what yeah. Black they they, they is. expected me to yeah. be like the caricature of hip hop. Yeah, I am hip hop. That's, that's where I come from, right? And I don't right. mind being my authentic self, but they wanted that played up. Um, but at the end of the day, they were they were very good people, and, and you know, people you they you teach people how to love you, right? And they had to learn. I'm not going right. to knock them. They were great folks. They just didn't know what they didn't know and had never interacted with someone like me uh, in that space before. And so in short order, I had to, they asked me to um, let them know what it was I would and wouldn't be comfortable doing. And the first thing that I said is that um, I am going to dress how I feel uh, represents not necessarily my culture, but um, uh I forgot how I said it, but basically I wasn't going to be this cartoonish version of myself. Um, so that's when I started wearing like ties and wearing a suit and, you know, doing that sort of thing, because I realized there's not a lot of black people on TV in Arizona with Afros. Right. Yeah. So there's an opportunity here like you and like so many others to show young black uh, boys and girls, perhaps that, um, you're valid in in a space like this and you don't have to be a clownish version of yourself in order to exist here. And um, the other one was um, that I will not uh, be changing my hair. Um, it, it came up in the first meeting and they weren't making a big deal out of it, but I needed it to be, I needed everyone to be very sure about that. With that said, um, that is a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, that's, that's the perspective of a man in a, in a space like that, not the perspective of a woman. That's a perspective of someone who doesn't need them for gainful employment because I was working at another job and just kind of dipping my toe right. over there with, with channel three. Right. And so the dynamics and the optics weren't quite the same as someone working in a, uh, in a broadcast space for their livelihood. Right. And, right. um, I know that there are some people, as you mentioned, who cannot, they, they don't even get asked what it is that they want to do. Um, and because the Crown Act is not a national um, law and it's only um, in, in certain pockets of the country, there are still people who are subjected to this um, idea that folks want black people, want black culture, but they don't want, they want the good ones. They want the ones that fit the mold, that sort of thing. And that feels and has always felt kind of unfair because as you mentioned, you know, the authentic version of yourself is the, uh, you know, I always say, you know, wear your hair the way God intended. So far be it for me to allow a man breathing the same air as me to tell me what to do with the hair that grows out of my head. Right. But again, I can say that. <laughs> And, and a lot of my sisters cannot, you know, their livelihood depends on it. They have families, they have responsibilities. And, and so I appreciate this, uh, book and, um, efforts like this. You know, I was a big fan of the Crown Act and I talked about it on the radio, um, for obvious reasons. Um, but also I recognize that certain voices go a little bit further than others. And I've always had to represent my literal sisters and my, uh, cultural sisters. Uh, with respect to hairstyles. With that said, I'd like to ask you, uh, before we let you go, what advice would you have or give to women who are wanting to um, uh, follow in your footsteps and go natural and, and um, be 
receive a warm reception in the workplace, uh, what what would what would you um, suggest that those folks do? I think that they have to understand what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, the Crown Act is not something that is um, a law, national law. So you have that to consider. And I think that if you're talking with the television space, okay, mm-hmm. as a TV reporter coming from my area, um, you have to also think about the fact that many of the news directors that are selecting their hires, they look at tape, okay? They look mm-hmm. at video. And how you present yourself on video, usually that's how, that's one of the things that will, that's one of the things that the factors that will help them select. Yeah, get you in the door. You come into the room, okay? Mm-hmm. And how you present your stories and how you do your, 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 your presentation. And that's one of the things that will help you get in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you come in with your authentic hair, like you, and they picked you to come into the room, then go ahead, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you co- come in at a different, uh, uh, in a different way and then want to change it, realize that there may be some pushback that you get because what they selected as their look, you are not representing. That's fair. And it's not that it's not that it's not that it's not a good thing. You may want to be your authentic self. And I'm saying go for it if you want to. The other thing is that once you go for it, many of the news directors, um, you have a contract and your contract is usually two to three years. Um, and then they have to renew your contract and your contract may not be renewed. And that is their prerogative. It's not that they fired you. They just said that we're going to move in a different direction. And that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with a lot of people that are in television news um, has happened in the past. I see um, that there's being a change happening. There's like a, a wave happening here, which is wonderful, which will hopefully give more women who have are able to wear off their, self, their authentic hair and not have to worry about those issues and just have to worry about doing a really good story. Um, you could have, you know, best tape ever um, and not be considered in the past. You could have the best tape ever and not be considered because of what your presentation as far as your hair looked like on sure. your head. Sure. Um, understand the history of black natural ha- hairstyles. Um, and that is ju- not just fashion. It's cultural identity. And Absolutely. you can make a, you can, it can make you a target for a lot of negativity and you should know why that negativity exists. There's a long history behind it. And the long history has a lot of negative stereotyping and talk. And sometimes that has seeped into your subconscious and you need to kind of look in the mirror and to ask your own self, if you have, you know, adopted some of that negative talk because of what white society has said is acceptable or feminine or pretty. Um, and have you accepted how you look in the mirror and how you feel about your own presentation? Sure. And then I would say, you know, and are you really, ta- are you willing to take the time to really learn about your real natural hair and what it, how it moves and how it feels? Many people don't know what their actual hair feels like because they really haven't had, a, they've had a perm since they were really little like five years old. Um, many of these, uh, many of the um, stylists I've talked to said that a lot of black women who come in the style and uh, sit in the stylist chair in the salon, they just don't, they really don't know how to deal with their real hair. 
And it becomes frustrating because you have to be patient with yourself and give you time to learn a new way of presenting yourself because you've been used to styling it one way in the past, which has been straight or in a different way. And you have to find new ways to see yourself. And are you comfortable with you regardless of what it, if it makes other people uncomfortable? So I think that that's, those are some of the things that I think you got to examine for yourself before you walk that walk or while you walk that walk. Mm. So the, it's a psychological thing. It's not just a physical thing. It's also a psychological thing that we as women um, often have to deal with and, and um, come to conclusions with when it comes to our black natural hair and embracing it. Sure. Sure. Well, in addition to that advice, I'm sure that um, picking up the book, will be um significant as well and, and just kind of reading about the stories and kind of arming yourself with those tools so let's make sure that we plug the book before we let you go where can folks go to get the book and of course uh make sure that people can tap in with you on your social media website anything like that um to keep up with you personally as well um as you continue would, on your natural hair journey I would say go to Amazon. It is located on Amazon. And if you want to reach out to me, I'd say go to the Black Information Network, BINnews.com and find me there. Um, you know, I am on Facebook as well, um, but I'm still working on my website. So I don't have a website that I, I can give everybody. Oh, well, as long as as long as there's a way to tap in, I'm sure that's efficient. Well, once again, the title of the book is Embracing My Black Natural Hair, a guide from a former TV reporter who went natural. Uh, Esther, I'd love to have you back on the show again, but thank you for spending your time. Of course, Maggie, thank you to you as well for putting together a brilliant show and uh, sharing both of your perspectives. Um, this is something obviously that's important to me, but obviously it's important to us culturally. And um, I I can't wait to see what the book does. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, Esther Dillard from the Black Information Network. Thank you. I am Maggie B. Nowen, and today I'll leave you with this. A great demonstration of corporate responsibility to ensure protection against discrimination based on race-based hairstyles in schools and in the workplace. With the collaborative leadership and philanthropic efforts of Dove Unilever, in conjunction with the National Urban League, the Western Center on Law and Poverty, and Color of Change, and in partnership with then-State Senator Holly J. Mitchell of California, the Crown Coalition was formed in 2019. Also that year, born from the coalition, the Crown Act, which stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair, was created and successfully became California law. With federal legislation passing through the House in March of 2022, hopeful for the Crown Act to be an addendum to current federal civil rights laws. Unfortunately, due to being illogically voted down by the Republican white male run Senate in December of 2022, hair discrimination is still rampantly taking place across our country, and we are still needing urgent change. Reinvigorated by today's conversation, recent legal debates and voting outcomes, and keeping top of mind the real fact published to Senate.gov that across the entire span of U.S. history to date, in 2023, we have only had 11 black people ever elected to a Senate seat. 
While yes, it is true that individual states are continuing to pass this legislation on the state level one by one, with Minnesota most recently joining the coalition, it is more than abundantly clear that we collectively have significant work to do. No matter our personal hair type, now further informed and connected to the issue, let us all be committed to supporting the Crown Act and Crown Coalition however we can. Committed to learning more and doing more. Committed to elevating the public narrative around this important topic. And committed to ending hair bias and discrimination once and for all. To learn more about how you can help, visit crownact.com. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show is produced by Chris Thompson. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. We'd love to hear from you. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. Find your daily podcast host at Ramses Shaw on all social media. We look forward to your joining us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective right here on the Black Information Network daily podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions... Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.